0: Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. Turn your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4 please. Philippians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 9. Uh, next week, because of the Christmas holiday, we're going to switch out of Philippians. And uh, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 2. And then back to finish Philippians the following week. And to give you a heads up, we'll be doing a study on the Beatitudes after that. About an eight-week study. So, just give you an idea what's what's heading towards us here. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Today our title is Battling Anxiety. Battling anxiety. anxiety. Anxiety is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all others all other thoughts are drained. Someone else wrote this Wary is fear's extravagance. It extracts interest on trouble before it comes due. It constantly drains the energy God gives us to face daily problems and to fill our responsibilities. It is therefore a waste. In today's world, we have so much to be concerned about. The new Omicron COVID strain is here. Possible shutdowns have been discussed. Inflation is at a 30-year high, which means higher prices are coming. Government overreach, distress related to Christmas, related to raising children, inner relationship problems, world events, our future on this earth, and especially the future of our children and our grandchildren. All this is enough to make us want to flee, like the psalmist said. And you add to the troubles that we face and go to Philippians chapter 1 for a moment, and verse 28 to 30, and see what the Philippians. Face. In addition, when it says in verse 28 of chapter 1, And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition. They were being persecuted and their lives were being threatened. Which, by the way, showed that their adversaries didn't know Christ. That's what he's saying there. But to you of salvation and that from God. Now look at verse 29 as a reminder. For to you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in his sake, but also to suffer for his sake. In addition to the struggles we face, the church at Philippi were being threatened and persecuted with bodily harm and perhaps even death. And that's what they had to deal with. And Paul is dealing with today then the anxiety they would face with that being around them. And again, so a text that we can hopefully draw some encouragement from. And I pray for that. I pray we're encouraged and I pray we're challenged today. Now, here's my four points. Number one, something that Paul says often, battling anxiety, we've got to draw close to God. Our strength and power comes from God. Number two, encourage each other. We can be in an encouragement to each other as we battle anxiety together. Number three, give or cast your problems to the Lord. Take them from you and give them to God. And number four, fight for inner peace. Inner peace is something we have to fight for. We have to battle. And so fight for inner peace. Let's let's have a word of prayer. Father, we have a very pertinent, sometimes scary and fearful and even paralyzing subject today. The subject of anxieties. Some of us naturally suffer more anxieties than others. Some of us, because of our chemical makeup, because of our upbringing, have the tendency to suffer more. But no matter where we're at in this battle for anxieties, I'm wary, that can lead to fear, that can lead to paralyzing fear, we pray today that you will speak to us, that you will encourage us, that you apply this message, that you will give us tools today to battle the anxieties. And Father, we know That you are a loving, gracious, kind, and merciful God. And you are standing by to help. So, Father, we pray today that the Spirit of God again would challenge and encourage us and open our eyes to the scriptures. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Battling anxieties, draw close to God. Now, remember the context here. We saw in chapter three the last two verses that we are citizens of Jesus Christ and our, our, our heaven and our citizenship is in heaven and someday Jesus Christ is going to change our sinful um, dying bodies. Doesn't sound too pleasant, but it's true. God is going to change that and give us glorified bodies. And with that in mind, Paul comes into chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, having all this in mind, okay? Therefore, knowing that you have a home in heaven. Therefore, knowing that your citizenship is in heaven. Therefore, knowing that Christ is going to come back someday and rescue us and change our bodies. Knowing all this, my beloved. Now, notice the words. My beloved. That's agape, the strongest word of uh, word you could use for love. Notice the love Paul has for the church at Philippi. Therefore, my beloved, agape, and longed for brethren, I long to see you. See the love? My joy. I love being in your presence. And crown. I think Paul is saying here, you know, someday, God is going to reward me for my service. But that I don't need that. You're my crown. You're my reward. It's a close, intimate relationship we have with them. So stand fast in the Lord. And again, beloved, agape. But in between all those loving things he says, he says, stand fast in the Lord. And that word is a, get a four by four post and dig an 18 inch hole and fill it with concrete and let it settle and that baby's going nowhere. And that's what he's saying. When the winds of life and the hardship of life and the difficulties of life hit you, and the winds and the turmoil hit you, you stand firm for God. Now, he's not saying that's done in our own energy, because it's not. It's through his power and through his strength that we stand fast for God. In fact, I'll have you turn with me to Psalm 55, and this is the passage that Brother Mark read this morning. You see, our tendency, and this is what we have to realize, we are weak. We have a strong God. You know, when God called me into the ministry, I honestly left. I was working with juvenile delinquent kids, and I was going through the process and already had the inroads to be an FBI agent. And that's where I was, I was heading, towards that direction. And God kept tugging at my heart to surrender to preach. And I honestly thought, there's no way. Because I can't even, when I was in college, I couldn't even raise my hand to ask a question. I was so nervous. And when I first started preaching, it was a disaster. And God kept saying to me, you just trust me. You just trust me. You just trust me. So I know a lot about anxieties. I was a very anxious. Panic attack stricken person. And God. So I will be the first to admit. That I am weak. I am a weak person. I, God is not my crutch. God is my stretcher. I, God carries me. And so when I, when the Bible says. To stand firm. That is not in our own strength. That is through the power of God. Now. In Psalm 55, the psalmist says this, and I think this psalm is probably relating to, to, um, to David and uh, when Absalom was, was um, it, it's, it's related to that because we see that in a passage here. But when Absalom was taken over the throne and, and he was betrayed by his close friend Ahithophel, Ahithophel, the Bible says this, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and, and do not hide yourself from my supplications. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily. We think of David as a warrior, but David often poured himself out to God as somebody who yes. is weak. Because the voice of the enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart, now look at this, is severely pained within me. And the terrors of death have fallen upon me. I'm terrified. Who wouldn't be? I mean, the armies are are closing in on. Death is imminent. Fearfulness in verse five and trembling have come upon me and horror has overwhelmed me. Isn't it interesting that we saw last week? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul said when he came to the church at Corinth, he came with fear and trembling. We think of the greatest missionary to ever live fear and trembling. The greatest king ever lived fear and trembling. Weak. You see, our weakness is our strength if we pour it out to God. And then he says this, so I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would, when I would, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. And then he says, Selah. Meditate on that. You see, I would love to just escape from my problems and go far away to some island and forget about all the problems that I have to face. I've been there more often than I'd like to admit. But we can fly into the arms of God. You see, God has his arms out for us and says, you come to me and I will make you steadfast. I will make you strong. You see, God takes weak people and makes them strong. He took somebody like Gideon, who was very weak in himself, and made him a warrior for his glory. And that's what God likes to do. And so, for us, what we need to do in battling anxiety is we need to draw close to God. Now, go back to Philippians chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 4. You see this? group of believers who love God and are walking with God, were being persecuted. And Paul says, now stand fast. Stand fast, because you want to flee. You want to will. You want to fall apart. But then he goes down and look at verse 4. We'll deal with verses 2 and 3 in a moment. But look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. How often? Always. Find your joy in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. But times and things are difficult. I feel the pressure of life. Flee to Christ and find joy. Remember the fruit of the spirit is, is joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, just in case you didn't hear it the first time. I say, find your joy in Jesus Christ. So again, our point. Draw close God. Number two, encourage each other. Encourage each other. The book of Hebrews was written, most people think probably by Paul, and he probably didn't sign his name because the Jewish people wouldn't have listened to him because of the fact he went to the Gentiles. So most people think it's Paul. Maybe not, but most people think it's Paul. But one of the main themes of the Book of Hebrews, and when you read that, keep this in mind: this is the theme. People in the Church of Jerusalem were being persecuted severely, and because of that, they were leaving church because they didn't want to be persecuted. Okay, and Paul says a passage you may be familiar with, and he—you don't have to turn there. I'll quote it for you: Hebrews ten twenty-five, not forsaking the assembling. Of ourselves together, as is in the manner of some. Some have fled because of the persecution, which really gives people very little reason to flee from church today, right? But he says this. But exhorting one another—that means parakaleia, encouraging one another—and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So Paul says. You don't flee church on the persecution. You go to church because you need to be an encouragement to each other. And that's our second point. Battling anxiety, we do it with each other and we are to be an encouragement to each other. Now, in chapter four, verses one, or excuse me, verses two and three, we've alluded to this oftentimes. When the pressure cooker comes... Sometimes it can bring the worst out of us, can it? And I think that's what happened here. And Paul says this. Now look at verse two. Look at the words. I implore Judea, Judea and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. That word implore that he uses twice, again, is parakaleia. I put my arm around you. If I was there, I would put my arm around each of you and say, be of one mind." Doesn't mean you have to have the same opinion. There was something that happened that they had a falling out and it affected the church. And he's saying, let's have the same mindset. Let's put our differences aside. Let's put this problem aside. Let's not talk about it. And let's look to glorify Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying today. I want to encourage you. He doesn't rebuke them. He understands. But he comes alongside and says. We need to be one. We need each other. During this difficult time. The enemy is out there. Not here. And that's what he's trying to say. Now. In verse 3 it says. And I urge you also true companion. Probably right. The true companion there speaks probably of. Epaphroditus, probably the man who sent the epistle back to the church of Philippi. So he says, and I urge you, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Why is he writing all that? These are godly women. These are women that have labored. They have toiled To exhaustion for the cause of Jesus Christ. So it can happen to anybody. What he's saying here. Is that I want you to help. I want you to encourage them. Perhaps take down the scripture. Perhaps sit down. Whatever it takes. Let's let's get past this. Why? Because. Because. We need to be an encouragement to each other. During this typical time. In verse 5, he says this. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Your sweet reasonableness. Think of being gentle as the opposite of being harsh. In a conversation. A sweet, accommodating reasonableness. Let that be known to all men. Why is he saying that? Because you know what? Some people aren't that way. Some people are so troubled inside that they're not going to settle for peace. But you know it's going to happen. And some some right now you may think of somebody. It could be a a sibling or a friend or a cousin or a neighbor. And he says, you be be reasonable. You be kind. You be gentle. They can be harsh and cruel. But you don't, don't go into that arena. Let them be that. Because it will be known to all men. That testimony will float out. And people will begin to see. What happened. I had a situation in Ireland. With a deacon. That we did not. Um, allow to be a deacon again. After many different warnings. Because of things that were happening. And his wife. Got so upset and so mad. It made him so mad. That he went to the the head deacon. And after church one Sunday. They're in there ready to give it to me. And as we started engaging, and he was mad, and I said, no, I said this. And he's like, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. That other deacon saw that. By God's grace. And eventually that man ended up to be my probably my closest friend. Because how God, because that's not me naturally, how God worked that out. You're sweet reasonable. Don't think that people aren't watching. Because they are. And God is watching those important. Now, number three, give your problems to God. Give them to God. One of my favorite passages in all the scriptures is 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I'll probably turn there. Um, We're going to turn there right now. And I'll probably turn there in other times. But 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This is one of the greatest scriptures that I love. Because it was a man that was... um, being attacked and was in great bother and he didn't do anything but came to God and claimed his word and God delivered. Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles chapter 20 is the text. Look at first one. And by the way, the context here is Jehoshaphat, his, I think it was his son was married to, Asa and Jezebel's daughter, and um, and that was and, and he was accommodating Asa very often, and and God was not happy with that and was chastening him. Okay, and I say that to say this: when we mess up, and and there's consequences. That doesn't mean we can't go to God, because He still delivers us. He's still there for us. Now, look at chapter, chapter 20, verse 1. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Now, the Ammonites and the Moabites were descendants of Lot. And then also, according to, I think, like verse 10 or somewhere down there, it's also those that dwell at Mount Seir or Sire, and that's the... the uh, that the Edomites, descendants of Esau, three nations, unprovoked, attack Judah. How does, how does Jehoshaphat fight this? And again, give your promise to God is our third point. And it says this in verse 2. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared. He was afraid. And he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And then he prayed. So what did he do? He's being attacked by three nations, and instead of seizing the moment like a great leader, he's scared. And he says, we need to go to the temple and start praying and ask God's help. By the way, he had a standing army of one million soldiers, which was a very strong army at that time. But he threw that aside. And what he does in verses 6 and following, he claims 1 Kings chapter 8. And this is something called the prayer of faith. Now listen. The prayer of faith moves mountains. What he does is he takes God's word and he holds God's word up to him. And he's claiming 1 Kings 8. And in 1 Kings 8, it says this. That if you are attacked by nations because of sin and you come to me and you repent And you ask for my help. I will come and I'll deliver you. That's what he does. God does what your word says. So I'm taking your word. And I'm praying up to you. And I'm asking for your help. Now you and I can do that too. We can do that with the Philippians passage. Be careful for nothing. We'll see that in a moment. But through prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. And the peace of God. Which passes all understanding. Right? He'll give us that. We can claim that to God. And that's what he does. Now, I love this passage in verses 12 to 13, because this is what I want us to see. Again, you're battling anxieties or whatever problem you're battling. That problem is not your problem. That problem is God's problem. Look at verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do but our eyes are upon you. That's where we need to live. You want to overcome anxieties? That's where you need to live. God, I can't do this. I am overwhelmed. I am weak. I know I shouldn't be like this, but I claim your word and your promises, and I ask you to intercede for me. You've got to give it to God. And God does intercede. We saw in the passage that brother Mark read today at the end of that passage cast your fears upon God cast your burdens upon God because he wants to take them and God not only delivered him from these armies he never had a fight never had a fight they fought against each other and the spoils of war it took them four days to collect the spoils of war you see when we admit that we're weak and we go to God Watch God do great things. Because God is looking for a people that say, I am weak so that he can show his glory and his power. He took the army of Gideon. That was 30, I think around 30,000 against an army of 132,000. He was outnumbered 132,000 to 30,000. I think my numbers are, are pretty close anyway. And God said, you have too many troops and he cut it down to 300. Why? Because God is looking to put us into situations where our backs are against a wall and we cry out to him and he delivers us. That's what he's looking to do. Now, I want you to go back to Philippians chapter 4. And I want you to look at verse 6. The Bible says this, be anxious for nothing. Now, note that. Be anxious is this. It means don't be distracted, literally. So you're doing something and you're distracted because something's bothering you. You're fearful of something. So you're distracted. You can't concentrate. God says don't do that. Okay? Now, he's not saying there with his finger, don't do that. He's saying, I want to deliver you from that. One time I got, well, I got in trouble a lot of times, unfortunately, when I was growing up as a kid. But I remember one time specifically, I had a court case and I never told my dad. And I was scared to death. And my dad found out. And my dad said, your friend Russell doesn't have a dad, but you have a dad and you can always come to me. Oh, bird lifted. up. Right? We have a father in heaven. We have a father in heaven. We can always get to him. And he will take us. Be anxious for nothing, but now God says, here's the solution, but in everything, how often? In everything. You mean this little problem that I'm anxious about? I can't bring that to God. Yes, you can. There are problems I bring to God that you would look at and say, that's ridiculous. It's okay. That's okay. It's not ridiculous to God because He answers it. I have a prayer list I pray through every night. It's my little anxiety list. And one by one, I just tick them off, tick them off, tick them off, tick them off. As God answers. Everything. By prayer and supplication. I think prayer there is a state of prayer. Constantly praying. Praying without ceasing. Supplication is a specific prayer. With thanksgiving. Whoa. Thanksgiving. I don't like being anxious. I don't like being fearful. No, but but by faith we say, God, thank you for putting in this, me in this situation. Because I get to see you work. That's the idea. You have a good reason for this. It's going to draw me close to you. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. People say, well, how do you pray? It's pretty simple, right? You just tell God what's in your heart. Let your request be known unto God. And look at this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. God wants to give you peace. The peace of God that passes understanding. I'm in this difficult situation, but yet I have peace. Shouldn't have, but I do. And that doesn't necessarily come through one prayer. That comes um, through persistent prayer, as was, was mentioned today in the Matthew 7, 7-11 passage. That's what I have found. I have found when I'm something that's very anxious and fearful, and I pray persistently, it dissipates. Usually it's a matter of days. It's gone. The problem may be there, but my anxiety is not there. The Bible says the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds and through the power of Jesus Christ. Like, like here's, here's anxiety, here's your heart, right? And here's anxiety trying to come in and, and, and paralyze us with fear. And and we pray And there's a guard around our heart saying, You're not coming past me. That's the idea right here. Now, here's the final point fight for inner peace. We said this before. Let's say it again. We pray as if and plead and beg as if everything depends on God. Because it does. It does depend on God. But then we work as if it depends on us. But yet it depends on God. But yet we need to work. Now, Philippians 4, eight. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there are any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, now look at it, meditate on these things. So we got to fill our mind with good things, right? We can't pray and say, God, take this anxiety away from me and then flee to the God of whatever that is, right? Because we are filled with idols, right? We, we know that. We all battle idols. Flee to the God of food. Flee to the God of alcohol. Flee to the God of entertainment. Flee to the God of a, a person, right? No, first we, we flee to God first and fill ourselves with things. Our minds, the word of God, prayer, meditating on scripture. We fight for those things, right? We fight for peace. Now, a couple of things here we want to look at. True, whatever things are true. 90, statistically, 92% of what we worry about never comes true. 92%. We had a tendency to make a mountain out of a molehill, right? That's exactly what happened to the children of Israel when they were going into the promised land. They saw the giants. They should have been fearful in themselves. All those walled cities. But instead of seeing it through God's eyes, they were terrified. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives And our children should become victims. True or false? False. It's not why God brought them to the land. Brought them to the land to give them victims. Whatsoever things are true. Meditate on that. You need to see that. And these words are pretty self-explanatory. Whatever things are pure. Holy. Meditate on holy things. Nothing more holy than the word of God. And then it also says, think or meditate on these things. It's meditate. It's not just think. It's, it's to let our mind be consumed. Let these things permeate in our minds. Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks, so he is. God wants that to happen. He wants, and, and that has to be through the power of God. That has, but we have to fight for that. It's interesting, too, that word think, is in the middle voice. So if it was in the active voice and I was playing baseball and somebody threw a pitch, I would hit the ball. That's the active voice, right? If I'm playing baseball as a batter and somebody throws the ball and it hits me, then I'm hit by the ball. That's the passive. The middle voice is both. So if I'm playing baseball and I hit the ball and the ball hits me, which I've done that, foul tip off my shin, which hurts, then it's both It's both. I'm both the doer and receiver of the action. And that's what it says here. So here's the point. When you actively pursue meditating on these things, those things then affect you. You are now the receiver of the action. You see? So now what happens is because you're actively pursuing them, those things now are pursuing you. And you are now thinking on those things. And so you have to fight for inner peace. And in verse 9, it says this, The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. In other words, we can hear this message and we we can agree with the message. But if we don't apply the message, we're no better off than when we came in. The Bible says, do these things, and then the God of peace will be with you. And then you can apply the promise. That's the key. And that's why the final point is, we must fight for inner peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, that your word is so um, practical and pertinent. And we pray, Lord, again... It's, it's, you know, they're trying times today. And we think sometimes of our children's future and our grandchildren's future. And, Father, we just thank you that we have the word of God, that, that we can have peace in the midst of hardship and troubles. So, Father, speak to us, encourage us, strengthen us, minister to us. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God-blessed day.